Welcome to this week's installment of Last Ones at the Bar. This episode, we're back in the stew together. My name is William Henry, and I'm joined by Daniel Lee to my left and Lavelle Jackson to my right. We got the three-man crew, you know, the run DMC, Jam Master J, you know. Uh, fellas, how goes it? Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you guys, to, to talk boxing and get back to our roots, how the foundation was started, and just build on uh, upon that. Uh, so, great to be here. Yes, sir. Always good to be in the building. All three of us, I think we, we could all agree that we're running off fumes, but we're going to pick up off each other's energy. You know what I mean? Got to see it through, my boy. Absolutely. Now, let's go ahead and start off talking about a little bit of that. A little bit of b-ball, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> we got the NBA Finals going on. The Celtics took game one in impressive fashion, you know. Do you think that this trend is going to continue, or do you think that the Warriors are going to, you know, turn the tide and uh, possibly win this thing? Well, it's too early to really say, but I would say some things that are interesting and would concern me if I were the Warriors is that the Celtics didn't exactly play a, a, a great game one, and yet they still won. Matter of fact, they played a, a, a I believe one of those quarters was a horrible quarter. It might be a third quarter. It was a horrible quarter, yet they caught up in the next quarter and just, you know, start clicking on them. Um, so, if I were the Warriors, I'd be concerned, especially considering that I predicted that the Warriors would probably win this in about five or even sweep them. So this, this is going to be an interesting series, you know. It's, it's not as as clear-cut as they were saying in the beginning. Yeah, I think it's definitely going to be interesting. And I actually think the Celtics this year have the chance to do kind of what the Warriors did in 2015 in the sense that they have been, not to diminish their wins, but they've been the beneficiary of injuries. You know what I mean? Um Chris Middleton was out when they played the Bucks. A lot of the Miami squad was hobbled. But that doesn't take away from what they did in Golden State in game one. And, you know, granted, I don't think we're going to get another 26-point game from Horford. But Tatum had a bad game. And so there's a lot of variables that could go into it. You would think that with the pedigree the Warriors have, they would figure out a way to bounce back. And then it's also like, well, the Celtics fold in some capacity as, as the series gets longer. But I think it's going to be interesting. I hope it goes seven, you know. That's all I'll say. Yeah, we'll, we'll see, you know. And then to add on to what you're saying as far as uh, them benefiting from teams, injuries and, and whatnot, you even have the Ben Simmons debacle, you know, with the Nets, you know. But this could just be the Celtics' year, you know. In addition to that, I think that by them, they're similar to – Golden State in this sense also is that you had a coach who took over and kind of pushed them over the top because you had Jackson who kind of set the foundation for the Warriors and then Kerr ended up. I think what Kerr did was he kind of like took, he didn't take such a hard-nosed approach with them and they were able to blossom uh, having a foundation from Jackson. And then I think it was the opposite with Udoka. I think what he did as far as the coach that they had before, he didn't give them that that heart, that that uh, meanness that they have on the fence that they're showing now. And I think that they are actually thriving under him. And so you see 
them blossom into a championship level type team. But I also think, as far as the matchup is concerned, I think that um, Golden State is going to have a tough time. You know, like you said, you had the Celtics not playing their best. Now, they played well. Like, those other guys were killing. Like, they couldn't miss any three-point shots. But Tatum, he wasn't on his game. But this is why I said they're going to have a tough time. It's because I think Draymond is going to get canceled out by Horford. Horford is not even worried about him at all. It's like it's a daunting task for Draymond to do what it is he typically does against somebody who's physically strong, a veteran who's not worried about him. And so that's going to cancel him out. And then you have other guys like Looney isn't much of a scorer, not on their team. Now, I've seen Looney before he got to the Warriors. He can score, but he just don't score with them. That's not his job. That's not his responsibility. And then the other thing is Poole. Poole is good, but what the Warriors, not the Warriors, but what the Celtics have did and what they're capable of doing is putting a smaller defender on him. He can get around larger guys, and he has so many different ways to score, but his, his handles aren't that good. So if you put a smaller guy on him, he's concentrating on his, his handles and is throwing them off as far as his shot. So that's going to be an interesting uh, thing to, or dynamic when it comes to this series. So we'll see. But I'm sure Kerr will make some adjustments you know, moving forward, and that's what this is all about. We like to have these uh, early you know, introductory questions. This will allow you, you know, to get comfortable, you know, at your cubicle, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Or, or, you know, the conveyor belt might be going around and you guys, you know, maybe chiming in on discussions that we have. Before we get to the topics, what I do want to ask, Vail, we were having a sidebar conversation about my boy DJ Quick, man. You know, you were saying something along the lines of his production. Um, what were you saying about Quick, you know, as far as the level of production that he brings to the table? Uh, DJ Quick, you know, he's someone that... that I, I discovered back when the video jukebox was going on in '91. <laughs> came out with uh, tonight. I know he had some mixtapes before that, the red tape and all that. It, it was getting everybody in trouble. But even from then till now, I mean, we were talking about how he didn't—he doesn't necessarily get the full credit that he deserves uh, when you really look at his catalog and what he's done, uh, and even the stuff he did not get credit for. Like he did—he was the one who, who mixed down. Uh, Tupac's All Eyes, All Eyes on Me album, and by mixing down, I mean made it clearer. Like when you hear it so crisp, that was mostly DJ Quick, uh, and and the only other person that that can make records that clean is kind of Dr. Dre, pretty much. Uh, so uh, DJ Quick, you know, dope producer. I mean, you can actually put on his instrumentals and just listen to him, and and, and you'll be satisfied. You know, that's how dope a producer he is. So he doesn't necessarily always get the credit he deserves. So I'll give my shout out to DJ Quick. Now, everybody wants to know the truth about her brother named Quick. That's the song that uh, Born and Raised in Compton, that's the first song that I heard. And that was on that jukebox. Like somebody was putting some heavy muddy in there because every time I look up, that was being played over and over again. And I just asked that question because I was listening to something. Um, and I was listening to his greatest hits. For some reason, one of his songs popped up. And so when it popped up, I started listening to his, like, his essentials. And I was like, this dude is cold, man. And he don't get the credit that he deserves. You know what I'm saying? And then it was one song in particular where he said, 
I was the first person uh, banging on wax. So then I went to YouTube and I listened to that mixtape he put out right before he came out with his first CD. And I was banging him and KK. You know what I'm saying? He's kind of like, he had a little, like Nipsey got a lot from him. You know, I could tell that he's he was heavily influenced because the first thing that he came out with, he was telling people that I'm a treetop, I'm not a fruit. You know, that, that, that gang stuff, like out the gate, letting you know what he represent. But not that he's like um, promoting it. He's just letting you know where he's staying out the gate. And then from that moment forward, he never even mentioned any of that type of stuff too much anymore. You know what I'm saying? But what I like about him quick was to me, all in one, right? He had the production of a Dr. Dre. The authenticity of Easy, And the storytelling ability of Ice Cube. So that made that man a monster, you know what I'm saying? But I just wanted to shout out to the brother Quick, man, because that was, he made my weekend, at least for those, you know, 30 minutes that I was checking him out. But let's go ahead and get off into these topics, fellas. You know, we had a lot of boxing, you know, that took place yesterday. You know, I know this is going to come out on Monday, but, you know, it's a lot of, you know, fights to digest. And so I think it's only right that we start with the young gun, Devin Haney. You know, he was out there in Australia taking on. George Campos. Phil, what did you think about that one? Yeah, I thought uh, it was excellent performance uh, by Devin the Dream Haney. It was happy to see the dream achieve a dream of his, uh, becoming a unified champion. Uh, this fight was for the WBC, uh, IBF, and WBO official titles and the WBA regular title. Um, it, was, it was a great performance by, by Devin Haney. I mean, he, he, he came in this fight very, very skilled. Pumping that jab like uh, I know he would, um, and not enough, not 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 enough is said about his jab. But he has one of the best jabs in the game, and he I likes how he, he utilizes it so much. I mean, it's one of the most important punches, but he use a lot, utilizes it so great uh, to control the distance. He, he utilizes it as a defensive move. He utilizes it as an offensive move. Also, I mean, uh, great performance. He won this fight off of. Uh, Skill. He went it went it off of speed. Uh, he went it off of accurate, uh, accurate, clean punching, and he also went it off of uh, being defensively responsible. Um, and he also went it off on his the toughness of his shin, because even though some like to criticize him taking punches and and, and, and uh, that some, some fights he might have seen uh, buzz at certain points, this fight when when Kambosos did land on Devin Haney clean, it was almost like. It didn't shake Haney at all. I mean, and, and once that happened, we knew the fight was, you know, it was pretty much over. I mean, of course, the first few rounds, it was just filling out rounds. Cambosas didn't do much. Uh, second round, Haney started the time. Uh, Cambosas was accurate jab. And by that time, Cambosa was kind of like, all right, what, what do I do now? In the third round, I think Haney got to his rhythm. And once he started doing that and landing left hooks along with those jabs and landing some right hands, uh, and Cambosa start swinging. Wow! Once that started happening, uh, the fight just settled into a rhythm where uh, it was just downhill for Cambosa, and it was going to be hard to to make it uphill without really trying to, but without really having something special within himself. So Cambosa missed a lot over and over uh, throughout the, the most of the fight, and, and Haney just just found his rhythm, which is landing with clean punches, landing with hooks, and. and and even though even when he got close to Cambosa, he didn't let Cambosa do what he wanted to do. He would tie Cambosa's up. And, and like I said earlier, when Cambosa did land, Haney did not, he didn't panic. Uh, he took it well. 
Uh, and it basically took Cambosa's heart. So it's like people talk about rematch. I'm like, what rematch? Because even though there is a rematch clause, it's like I don't see anything that uh, Cambosa can do that's gonna gonna win him this fight. Now he can do better in, in the fight, but I don't. I just can't see anything in him that could convince me that that if he gets a rematch and he and he, he exercises that rematch clause, that the outcome will be any different. Um, so Devin Haney improves to 28-0 with 15 knockouts. Uh, and and uh, George Cambosa, he falls to 20-1 with 10 knockouts. Uh, and, and, of course, Haney got, you know, they say he's a four-belt champion. He has really three of the, of the four belts. He has the WBC, IBF, and WBO title. And he has the WBA regular. And, and the WBA official champion is actually uh, Javante Tank Davis, who we saw fight last week. So it's, that's the fight I would kind of really want to see instead of uh, Cambosa's rematch. Really, the the only fight that I, I really want to see that's available right now because now Ryan Garcia has a fight with uh, Javier Fortuna coming up. But all in all, it was great performance by uh, Devin Haney. I'm a blast ESPN, you know, for not let I, I didn't get to see Devin Haney relishing his dream and relishing the happiness of. of, of Finally getting that respect that he he been fighting for for so many years. The ESPN was cutting us off and stuff like that and showing us sports that they think is more important than this kid, you know, achieving his dream. And, and you know, his father was there with him. His father, it, was a, it was a question of whether his father was even going to be there because of the visa issue. So he got to celebrate his win with his father, you know, and finally really being that the, the man of the division that now he's a big dog in the division that people are going to have to see. And for ESPN to not really, you know, focus in on that and show that, it, it was very disappointing. I wanted to know what Devin Haney had to say. I want to see the tears from his eyes, you know. It's happy to see, you know, when kids achieve things like this. So I'm going to blast ESPN. Hopefully they can do better and they hear someone from there hear this podcast, you know. Uh, but props to Devin Haney. It was happy to see him finally achieve that dream. Yeah, absolutely. Haney... You know, like you said, he was working behind that steady jab all night. He landed, or he outlanded, George Cambos's 159 to 100 in total punches to secure that 12-round decision victory. You know, becoming an undisputed lightweight champ. You know, Cambos has landed 182 punches in his upset win versus Teofimo Lopez, but he, like I said, he only landed 100 um, yesterday. And he was missing a lot of shots. Uh, what I was kind of surprised that, and Haney alluded to this as well, is that I thought that Cambos was a little bit more um, elusive. You know, he wasn't just like taking a pounding or anything like that. I thought Haney would land more um, on him, although he landed a lot. I just thought that, you know, George is a little bit more defensively responsible than I thought. But it was, it was a Excellent performance, you know. I mean, what can you say? You you basically broke it down, you know, everything that that happened. You know, I just thought that Haney with the speed, the reflexes, those fat, fast twitch muscles, you know, he's able to see pretty much everything. And, you know, in a fight, you're going to take some punches, and he, he certainly did, and he took them well. And that was the only thing that, to me, I thought that could possibly happen is if, because George Cambosis typically finishes strong. And Haney did have trouble against Linares towards the end of the fight. And so I was thinking, like, maybe that might be a possibility. And, you know, even if he doesn't, isn't able to get him out of there, maybe he does enough where that could sway the judges 
out there in Australia where they'll give him, you know, some kind of funny decision. But shout out to Australia, too, because even before the fight, and I was surprised at this, like George Camposa seems to be a stand-up guy. And he, 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 he is, you know, he was trying to sell a fight, you know, call it Annie a snitch and all that type of stuff. But I was just surprised at how much trash talking that he was doing and then it come in overweight. You know, that was, that was pretty surprising. And like I say, shout out to Australia because you would think, like being over there as close as he was to making weight, you would think that they just, you know, brush that under the table or whatever and allow him, you know, to come in, you know, just say he was at, at the limit. But, you know, as far as the fight is concerned, man, he did an outstanding job. I saw Dame Lillard out there uh, supporting him. You know, he just seems to be a solid young man, you know. And I'm glad that he's able to get this opportunity because a lot of people were avoiding him. Lomachenko. You know, Lomachenko didn't want to fight him. And then George Cambosos didn't want to fight him. Teofimo Lopez didn't want to fight him. All of these dudes avoiding him. So that's the reason why I got to praise George Cambosos in this case because he did step up to the table. Although he made, you know, the stipulations that you have to fight me twice in Australia, so on and so forth. I still got to show him some respect for giving that young man an opportunity. Saying that to say this, that yet Haney... As great as he looked yesterday, he's still only like 23, 24. So, man, he has so much, you know, potential, you know. And, Ville, you alluded to, to this one episode where you were saying that some of his lack of power could become come from draining to make it to 135, that he might even be stronger at higher weights and he maybe have a little bit more pop in his punch. Because, like I say, being 23, 24 years old, a young man, he's still probably – you know, putting his pampers on sideways. You understand what I'm saying? So, you know, shout out the young whippersnapper. Um, you know, like I say, sky's the limit. Great performance yesterday. Yeah, this was a straightforward enough fight that I don't really have to add much to what you guys already said. Only thing I'll say is that I felt like Camboso's never really looked like he wanted to take control of the fight. Like, he always seemed to be either waiting for Haney to do something or trying to respond to Haney doing something. And his response became kind of predictable to me you know and I thought it, it was kind of a peculiar game plan and even more peculiar that that was a game plan after doing all that talking and missing weight and again I understand you got to set a fight but you know if I'm if I'm the champion and I know I'm fighting Haney there's not a ton of holes in Haney's game but we all knew that if you let him work behind the jab he's going to work behind the jab and and so you know, to know that coming in and to see Cambosos wait for it and then respond with the same one or two punch combo, that just wasn't going to get him a win. Uh, but I do respect that he was classy in the post-fight interview. He gave Haney his respect. Also respect, like you said, well, that he wanted to be great immediately after winning the belt from, from Teofimo Lopez. I also want to give Haney his flowers because, like you said, people were avoiding him. He waited for his shot, and in the process of waiting for his shot, he didn't have to take on Lenars, uh, but he did. He didn't have to take on Jojo Diaz, but he did. So he took on some of the fighters that other fighters wouldn't take on, and he did it voluntarily. And then he accepted the one contract that was offered to him, all the terms. He flew out there, did exactly what he had to do to become undisputed. And so shout out to shout out to both of them, really, because regardless of the outcome, this was what boxing needed, and regardless of the outcome, once again, we now have, to some extent, another player in the division, so to speak. We have a former champion 
a former unified champion in Cambosos, who some of these fighters that are avoiding each other, they can see a Cambosos. I'm not sure if he's tied to any, I don't think he's tied to any sort of promotional company that would limit him to being on any one network. Because when he fought Teofimo Lopez, that was on the zone. This deal was done with top rank, and so he fought on ESPN. And so we have another fighter in that mix. I don't know how he'll fare in that mix, but we have another fighter in that mix that we can kind of use as a litmus test at lightweight division. And so I think that even though the fight was pretty straightforward, I think it was a good fight overall for the lightweight division. You guys got anything else? No, I'm good. Good. Cool. So around the same time on Showtime, we had cool boy Steph, Stephen Fulton. He fought Danny Roman. And this was for two of the belts at the 122-pound division. How did you guys see that going? Yeah, uh, cool boy starting to grow on me. Um, Because I I didn't necessarily see what you guys were kind of saying about him. You know what I mean? I saw a good little fighter in there that... I just didn't know what he would do against the better guys. But he's fighting the better guys, and he, he, he's impressive against these dudes. So, like you said, he was in there fighting um, to defend the two belts that he has at featherweight. Um, Fulton, he was coming in after training through Ramadan. Um, they were saying, and he was saying how that to build mental toughness for him. Which is, uh, well, you had two Muslims fighting yesterday because Devin Haney's also a Muslim as well. Uh, Roman was coming off of a 13 month layoff. You know, this fight was masterclass performance by Stephen Fulton. I think that this might be the best I've seen him fight. I think that Roman may have given Stephen Fulton a better fight if, one, not the 13 month layoff. I just think that. Um, regardless, Roman Fulton is better than Roman. He was going to beat him regardless, but I think it would have been a better fight if Fulton hadn't gone through the Figueroa fight, if he hadn't gone through the Angelo Leo fight. Um, I'll get to what I is that I saw, you know, within a fight in a second. But saying that to say this, right? So when he fought Leo um, or Angelo Leo, I think what he did because it surprised everybody. He went in there and was fighting toe-to-toe. He was fighting in close range with a guy that that's the only way he can beat him. But I think the reason why he did that, or it could have just been a blessing in disguise that he did it. It was either that or he knew against Figueroa that there was going to be moments that he was going to have to do that. And Figueroa is very good at that. So why not go ahead and, you know, do that against this guy and prepare myself for Figueroa? And so that, that paid off. But then a Figueroa fight, Figueroa's a big, strong featherweight. And so by him going through what he went through in that fight and still be, being able to be successful, it's no way in the world that Roman was going to bring anything to the table that he wasn't hadn't seen before, especially with his fight style. So I thought it was genius, if that's what it is that he was doing. Um, but in his fight, Fulton was just using that piston-like jab like right between rounds one and three. Um, he was just too quick and elusive, the tight defense. You know, he was just exhibiting the sweet science. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It was just, you know, a, a, a beautiful display, you know. And then maybe the only round that I possibly could have gave or given to Roman was the seventh. I still thought Fulton won that round. But 
after that, it was just all Fulton. You know, he was doing pretty much everything that he wanted to do. The punch stats for the fight, Fulton more than double Roman's copy box connect rate. He landed at 36.2 connect rate, while Roman was at 16 at a, a, <laughs> a pretty jury on uh, 16.8% connect rate. And power punches, it was even worse. Uh, Fulton landed 46% of his shots to Roman's 19%. And total punches, Fulton was 218 out of 603, and then Roman 113 out of 673. Uh, Fulton, he just like used movement to keep Roman off balance while looking for opportunities throughout. He was just hit, hitting them at will, you know. Excellent performance, masterclass performance by this young man. The next step is he's saying that he wants uh, Murajan, which he's the guy that holds the other two belts. And he got those two belts, I want to say, in 2020, January 2020, against Daniel uh, Romano. And that was a pretty close fight. That could have went either way. But Murajan is only 10-0 with seven KOs, has a wealth of experience in the amateurs. He's more powerful. So that's going to be a really good fight because he's going to have to worry about somebody who has a punching, has punching power. So I, I want to see that one as well. But, you know, just stick with what happened yesterday. Shout out to Stephen Fulton, you know, master class. Yeah, I definitely agree. This was a pretty straightforward fight, as indicated by the scorecards. I mean, two judges had it a shutout. One judge gave uh, Roman one round. I gave Roman one round. I don't have much else to add except for, you know, Fulton just came out and showed his class right here. And I do agree that. I think that other fighters that want to become the best in their division should go off of that blueprint of on your way to collecting the belts, fight the fighters that you need to make yourself a complete fighter. You know, and so he did that. And like you said, he expressed he wanted to unify all the belts versus Akhmedalia. I would love to see that fight. I think that is the fight to make at the 122-pound division. I'm not sure where he goes after that, but... I'm not going to put the cart before the horse, but yeah, I think it was a good fight and I think he looked good and I'm excited for his future because he's still a young guy too. He's about the young wet behind the ears. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's, that's, you got that full beard, you got that, that man here. Oil. <laughs> the, the oils, the Philly oils, yeah, they've been selling on the corner. Stuff, yeah, the sense. Uh, yeah, but you know, Will broke, broke it down very, uh, in an excellent way. Uh, full 10, uh, masterclass performance. Uh, once he started using his legs, I was like, this fight is, you, you just chalk it up. And he started getting comfortable. I was like, nah, because there's many ways for Fulton to win this fight. But he made it better on himself when he started using his legs. You know, he didn't want to, he didn't just try to fight on the inside like he normally do. Um, and Fulton, Fulton he's, he's a type of fighter that can, he can do a lot of these things. That's one of the things that impressed me with him is, is that, while most guys focus on what they're just great at or, or things they're exceptional at, Fulton will, will raise different parts of his game and, and show you different wrinkles and say, I can do this too and I'm going to, you know, uh, improve on how I do this, you know, so I, so when I get to a fight where I have to fight on the inside or I have to fight on the outside, I have these things to pull out the bag. And I, I think that's going to serve him well. Uh, he's going to be tough to beat. Uh, even if someone is to, to beat him, they won't have an easy time with him. And, and I think if he stays disciplined like I know he is, 
I mean, he's going to be a hard customer for, for, for anybody. Uh, so great performance by, by Stephen Folkson. Uh, shout out to him, doing big things. Young guy getting it. Uh, great performance. Anything else you... Yeah, it's an excellent performance. You know, awesome job by this young man. Like you said, he's just getting better and better in, in every aspect of boxing with the exception of power, you know. I can see he might, somebody might clip him. You know what I mean? Like, that may be the case. But as far as just a 12-round decision, you're going to have your hands full against him. Um, again, that was the best I've seen him as far as putting it all together. You know what I mean? Not doing stuff that... Now, he's been getting away with it, like I said, against Leo. Um, he just surprised the mess out of me. I didn't expect him to do that against that opponent. He reminded me yesterday of when I saw Pernell Whitaker when he fought, when I said Santos Cardona. And he just looked amazing in that fight. Like, he had, all, he had just beat Buddy McGirt. Then he beat Julio Cesar Chavez Sr. And then he had this next fight. And then... Santos Cardona was the number one fighter. He was supposed to be a pretty good fighter. But Whitaker, by that time, he just had, like, faced so many guys. There just wasn't anything Santos Cardona could bring to the table that he wasn't, you know, yeah, he hadn't seen before. And it was just, like, his his wits matched his athleticism and everything. Like, everything was just there. And so that's what I noticed. The other thing I was going to say, again, when I say that he may have took that uh, Leo fight, and he may have been using that as a gauge for Figueroa, because I see Mayweather do that. I don't know if you saw that fight, Vail, when he fought against Emmanuel Augustus before he fought. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Corrales. Corrales. Man, yeah, yeah, man, he went Augustus. up. The drunken master. The drunken master. But he, the way he fought him, oh, yeah. like, he went in there like it was a slugfest. And you're like, fight. why are you fighting this man in a slugfest? But to me, it was in preparation for Chico. You know what I mean? He went up to like he went up to one forty or one thirty five, whatever it is he went up to. He came back down for the Corrales fight, so he wanted to face a bigger guy to be prepared for Corrales, who was this monster puncher at one hundred thirty pounds. And so I think that that's you know the approach that Fulton took when he fought against Leo. But again, shout out to the young man, young whippersnapper, man, still wet behind the ears. <laughs> so uh, also there, there was another fight on the undercard of the Fulton uh, Roman uh, fight. Uh, we're talking about this up-and-comer, uh, David Morrell Jr. He took on Calvin Henderson. For, uh, uh, this fight took place at uh, super middleweight. I uh, understand, Will, you saw that fight. What were your thoughts on uh, David Morrell's performance? Yeah, I checked this one out. You know, it went kind of similar to what I thought was going to happen. You would had David Morrell, the sensation out of Cuba, now fighting out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. The fight was in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And he was fighting Calvin Henderson. They called him the hot sauce, you know. And he, he was getting some of that sauce put on him yesterday, you know. But first round, uh, Morrell, he came on aggressive, pressing Henderson uh, along the ropes. Morrell landed several combos. Henderson, he, he stuck in there, right? And he landed two good counters. And Morrell, when I saw the first round, Morrell did what he does against that level of opposition. Henderson might be slightly better than what he's faced, but when I saw Henderson sit there and he wasn't overwhelmed by the pressure and the power, and he was able to throw some of those big counters 
and he caught Morell a couple times, I said he's not ready for those guys that those elite guys yet because they're, he's going to face somebody who can take it, and then will he be able to take it? You know, and Calvin Henderson's not that big of a puncher. Round two um, started off in the center of the ring. Morell, he landed some good combos, you know, and then they went back to the ropes. And then Morell, he was landing more eye, the more eye-catching shots, um, but Henderson was countering well, you know what I mean? But if you look at the fight, Morell was his – I don't have to punch that numbers. It would just be a landslide as far as punch that numbers. But the effective shots, you know, you had Henderson had a couple of them in there, um, but he was just languishing on the ropes just too much. Round three, um, Morrell was boxing, and then he landed a couple good shots and back to the ropes they went. Morrell almost finished Henderson with a huge barrage of punches at the end of the round, but Henderson showed me something as far as the heart. He didn't want the fight to stop. He was just there. He was in a corner. When he went back to the corner, he was like, no, nah, no, nah, don't, don't stop this fight. And then round four, it started off. Morrell was taking his time. And at that moment, at first, what Morrell was doing is he was just, like, going in there just trying to finish this dude off. Like, uh, I think the guy's name is Gomez. That young other Cuban who was fighting a couple weeks ago was just throwing all of those hard shots. He was doing the same thing, but in the fourth round, what he did is he took his time to start emphasizing the shots and start putting more pop behind each individual punch. And then he landed a big left, and then the referee was like, that's enough. And so all's well ends well for Morrell, you know, and it was a good, you know, stay busy type fight. But I want the kid to, you know, show up a few things, not necessarily, you know, just gun for the fences, you know, every time you get in there, add a few more wrinkles. Take a, you know, he might want a, some stiffer opposition, but at the same time, don't just try to overwhelm all your opponents. Because he has, like, as far as his skills, he has tremendous amounts of skills and he has tremendous amounts of potential. I just don't want him to ever relinquish his career and just fall in love with a knockout, right? And then work on, like, the nuances of the game. And I think that he'll be right there. And also, the last thing I'll say is this. I don't think they necessarily have to fast track him like they're trying to fast track him. Although he has one of the regular belts, it's kind of hard not to because you're going to have to face certain fighters. But he's good enough where you want to take your time with him. Don't microwave your career. You know what I mean? You know, add a little seasoning. You know what I mean? Add a little flavor. You know what I mean? Preheat the oven and then cook your meal. You know what I mean? Don't just put it on, you know, two minutes and then put it in the microwave. Let it marinate. Yeah, let him marry, man. You understand what I'm saying? But he's a good, you know, prospect. I just hopefully they're not putting him in too early, you know, and not allowing him to work on different wrinkles of his game. I guess my question would be, because he mentioned names such as Plant, Benavidez, and Darrell, and then I checked Twitter after the fact, and you got fans saying, I don't know how much longer he should face competition like this. But he turned pro in 2019. You know what I mean? This was his seventh fight. So I know you said they shouldn't fast track him. He's not ready for those names. Where would you kind of put him at? Do you have a name or a range of names that you would put him in the mix with until he's ready? I would have to check the super middleweight weight class to, to find like specifics. But I think the guy that Berlinga is facing, like that caliber and quality of opponent, or the guy that Berlinga fought that dropped him. I would fight dudes along those that line first, maybe two two or three of those guys, and then just incrementally 
move up and then get you somebody like a John Ryder. You understand what I'm saying? Or get you somebody like a Gabe Rosado. You know what I mean? Like, you know, something like that. But see, right now, I would be kind of concerned with the Rosado because he's going to be putting it on Rosado, but Rosado just always try to time you. And he's, <laughs> he's, he's sneaky with that, that big punch. So it's kind of tricky, but that's the level of guy that I, I'll be referring to. Um, yeah, I'm all for those names you mentioned, but, you know, I'm not a businessman either. So for me, if I had my way, i say throw him in there with Edgar Belinger. You know what I'm saying? Let's let's see who's the real prospect. You know what I'm saying? Two undefeated prospects. Even though Morel has, you know, less fights, they have different strengths and weaknesses. And they seem really to me to be at the, around the same level as far as ability, uh, and what they can achieve. And I think whoever wins that fight will be the one that that, that could could be pushed up the chain, you know. That's just my own opinion. Yeah, I can see that. See, here's the thing with that. I don't think that'll work out good for Berlinga. You know what I mean? Because I think that Berlinga, from a business standpoint, depending on how he looks in his next fight or fights, he can milk that Puerto Rican crowd a little bit longer and, you know, make some money. Now, you go in there, you get whitewashed by Morel, then all of that's out the window. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm not a businessman. I'm like, but look, if he wins against Morel, then he's like, he, we can look at him like, uh, okay, you shut me up, Merlin. You serious, man. You know what I'm saying? Wait, wait. Showing no signs of being able to do that. We don't know that. We don't know until you get in that ring. Because I'm telling you, the only reason why I say that is because Morel has some serious skills. Like I said, the only thing that I'm concerned about is that he's so focused in on his power sometimes and that he may leave himself open in an exchange. But the problem with Berlinga and I don't really want to say too much about him because we're going to talk about his fight coming up, is that against guys like Steve Rose, right, he doesn't really punch when somebody's punching him. And that's what really, like, as a puncher, that got to be what you do. Like, if you're that big, strong puncher, man, that's what you're waiting for. Okay, you want to punch with me? Let me go ahead and catch you. So he's not no Nito Donner type. No, Donner has that like yeah. down to a T. Like he's he's like uh, gifted at that. You know what I mean? Also, last night we had a super featherweight bout against uh, Kanichi Agawa. He went he went up against Joe Gordina. You saw that fight, Danny. What are your thoughts on Gordina's performance and what that means? Yeah, man. I was on route one. I was at a stoplight. The fight came on. By the time the light was green, the fight was over with. <laughs> but, um, you know, this was a step-up fight for Cordina, um, but also a hometown one. And then Ogawa, he had won the vacant IBF belt back in November. So, as it stands now, they're 15-0. Cordina is Ogawa is now 26-2. They both came out jabbing and countering in the first, so trying to sort of get each other's timing down and, you know, kind of probing with the jab to see what can happen. And it was looking like it was going to be a pretty good fight going into the second round. And then they both came out kind of doing the same thing in the second. But Cordina threw a feint to the body, looking like it was going to be a body jab, caused Ogawa to drop his guard, caught him with a beautiful overhand right to put him down with a minute and 56 seconds left. And the ref stopped the fight at that point. So... This was a good fight for Cordina. 
who, again, it was a step-up fight for him, and he was fighting a lot of domestic fighters, you know, up to this point. And for him to have won this belt puts him at that world level that, you know, some of the, I guess, boxing critics kind of expected him to be at earlier in his career. Now, after the fight, Shakur Stevenson, he paid his respects to Cordina, saying he was the best fighter out of the UK. And Cordina said, you know, he paid his respects back to him. And Stevenson expressed interest in traveling over to unify the belts. But in reality, Stevenson's top rank. And it would be easier for Bob Arum to make that Gutierrez fight than it would be for him to make that fight with Matchroom or DeZone. So... We'll see what happens in terms of where Cordina goes from here or even where Stevenson goes from here at the 130-pound division. But the win does at least put Cordina in a better position than he was going into the weekend. And his career is sort of like back on track, one one could say, depending on where you had him at before that. Um, did y'all have anything on that or do y'all want to see that fight? Any thoughts on anything? A little something. I got a little something. Um, yeah, I checked it out. I, it was afterwards. And when you put out that we wanted to discuss uh, a guy wearing Cordina. I had no idea who either guy was. I think I may have seen Cordina before, but he looked like like one of those Joshes that be out there in the UK. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, it's very similar, but he may be better, though. He, he may be better than some of those, you know, regular UK box nation type dudes that they be having on, on Saturdays. And, during the like first round, or even it may have been the second round, like they were talking to Buatzi, and Buatzi said that Cordina has some wizard-like skills, and so I was like, "Oh, okay, maybe he might be better." Now he was doing good, you know, he was doing like, like you say, his jab and stuff like that the first round, and he set him up perfectly. And Agawa, his problem was he he was relying on that power. And he thought that he was just going to get to that chin. But he was throwing like these little flickering, like right before he got knocked out, he was throwing these little flickering left hand um, jabs. And then Cordina just timed him perfectly and got him up out of there. But my thing is this, is that do you think, though, you think that I'm sure that you wouldn't pick him against Shakur, but like what do you think of him against somebody like uh, – um, Valdez or or like uh, who else they got out there? You got Valdez, you got Rockmouth, you got Gutierrez, you got Tanseciao. You think he can get at some of those dudes? It depends on those names, but when I think about somebody like Valdez, you have Valdez whose stock is kind of down right now, and then you have two different fan bases. You know what I mean? So Valdez kind of has a Mexican fan base in the states. But, you know, like I was saying before, Cordina, he's been fighting a lot of, like, domestic fights in the U.K. And so it's like, well, do you bring Valdez out there and try to expose that, you know, the Mexican to the U.K. fan base? Or do you try to bring, you know, Cordina out to the U.S.? And so I think Valdez, at this stage right now, he would, he doesn't have the leverage as much now. And if he wants to give back a belt, then he wouldn't be probably more likely to come out that way. But regardless, however they going to cut the mustard, I'm just saying, do you think that Cordina, if, if that fight was possible or any of those other guys, do you think that he could, you know, does he have a chance against those guys? Or what chances would you give him against those guys? 
I think he's a live dog in that fight. I, I wouldn't make him a favorite in that fight, to be honest with you. Because I think, even though I said his stock is down, I think his stock is down because we're still kind of on the high of what Shakur did to him. But that's Shakur. Right. He's still, to me, he's still second second best fighter in the division. Mm-hmm. And just because he beat Ogawa doesn't make him automatically the second or third or even the fifth best fighter in the division. Right. And so unless there's a mandatory, if I'm his promoter, I'm going to try to protect him a little bit longer and maybe have, I might have a world-class domestic fight against another UK fighter before I put him against somebody like Valdez. The Stevenson fight, there might be enough financial interest in that to just go ahead and hand your belt over. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, I wouldn't go anywhere near Conceicao, that's for sure. Mm. Um, but I, I think he's somewhere in that mix, but I don't have him super high in that mix. Yeah. See, I don't know what him. I still he looked like he could compete against Ogawa. It was a one hitter quitter. You know what I'm saying? And it was early, so you don't know if he didn't catch him with that shot. What how things would have played out? You know yeah. what I mean? But what the idea like? That he did do in that fight, though, is that you listen to his trainer. The trainer basically said, "Hey, shoot, you know, shoot that right hand. You know, follow that that jab with your right hand." And you know, as soon as he did exactly that in the, in the second half of that round two, I mean, it landed flush. And boom, you know, Kyle was was you know sleeping. Uh, but to your point, those fights, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I think that 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 fight with Valdez is better for Valdez. Even though Valdez doesn't hold the leverage, from if I'm Valdez, I'm like, this is how I'm thinking. Like, this is how I'm going to get my stock back. This right. is what I'm going to do, and I can get two belts off of this. And Stevenson even said it, like, you Valdez is going to be champion again, and I think this is going to play out earlier than I thought. If if uh, Gordina gets in the ring with Valdez, because uh, I, I don't know, if, I'm not sure if he can just just stay away from him, but I think that'd be an entertaining fight. Could be a brutal one. Those are fights that I would want to see. You know, Godinez with uh, Gutierrez. I think that would be a, a pretty good fight also. But, I mean, the jury's kind of still out. We don't know. It could have been a one-hitter quitter, even though, you know, he did set that shot up. We don't know yet until we see him against that opposition more and more. So, There's some adversity. Like, he didn't even go through it really too much adversity yesterday. You know what I mean? So, we don't know how he's going to hold up under those circumstances. But, like you say, you, you have to have skill enough to be able to do. For one, you have to be able to set the shot up. Neither have the power to be able to put the man to sleep like he did. So that right there is a feather in his cap as far as that. But as far as anything else, we still, like you said, the jury's still out. Well, I'm not a businessman, but I can put the business hat on for a second. So I'm going to put my business bucket hat on. And the thing is, the fighters that we mentioning are all top ranked. You know, and so it's going to be similar to all those Stevenson said he's willing to go over there. Bob Aaron probably be like, nah, we're not going to, we're not going to really rock with them. And so I, I can see that happening with Valdez. I can see that happening with Stevenson or Casacial. And so realistically, he might be better off fighting Gutierrez and trying to unify. Cause I think Gutierrez is PBC, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. So I think he's better off trying to unify with him. And then maybe Gutierrez pulls that out. Top rank is more likely to do business with a PBC fighter than he are with his own fighter. Could be. Or Valdez might be like, man, yeah, give 
give me whatever money y'all gonna give me. You know what I'm saying? Just let me get to that dude right there. Get that. Dude. But who did he do business with yesterday? Uh, because to Haney. Yeah. I don't think Haney free agent though. Haney free agent. Yeah, Haney fin- Haney signed a two or three fight deal with Top Rank. Oh yeah, he, he, he can do that because he went out of contract. Right, and then I don't think you know you had. Cambosos who fought Tio on the zone because the zone went match room won that purse bid oh, yeah, yeah. and then right. ended up on top rank. So that was just a perfect blend for them, <laughs> you know. So you might have to look and see that might be a situation with who's ever the mandatory, like for for them. You know what I mean? They might have to go to a purse bid. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah. But we don't want to exhaust that too long. We still got several topics, man. I don't wanna uh, you know. Yeah, we do. So let's let's move on, man. But to, to to the man we talked about prior to that last topic, and that was Edgar Berlinga, you know, the, the the knockouts artist or the former knockout artist who's pretty much went the distance in his last, I want to say, three bouts. Mm-hmm. He'll be facing Romar, Alexis, Angulo, uh, the thirty-eight year old Colombian who's now fighting out of the Dominican Republic. Uh, what do you fellas think is going to happen in this one right here? Okay, we got Edgar Berlinga. Um, coming to this fight, 19 and 0, with 16 knockouts, six foot one, 73 inch wingspan. He's coming off a win with uh, Steve Rose that I think believe we saw earlier this year, and he also has a win over uh, Marcelo Esteban Caceres, which was a, a fight um, that someone's looking to uh, be successful against Berlinga. They're probably going to watch that fight. Uh, that's where he got he was caught, you know, coming in. He went down for a little bit. And also, uh, he was he was injured a little bit, so he had to also fight through some adversity, which showed a little bit about himself. So he's going against Romer Alexis Angulo, uh, twenty-seven and two with uh, twenty-three knockouts. Um, he's a super middleweight. Uh, saw him against uh, Carlos uh, Galvin, um, I believe it's Carlos Galvin. Um, but also, I was like, where do I know this guy from? And I'm like, I kept looking at his picture, man. I'm like, and it's ringing like, I'm like, is this Joseph C. Phillips from the college show, man? I'm like, the niece husband? You know? Uh, but then I had to go back into my my database of, you know, what we, we, we talked about this whole year. I was like, yeah. I saw him against uh, David Benavidez, where, you know, Benavidez got a stoppage of victory over uh, Angulo. So, you know, Berlinga, aggressive power, aggressive puncher. You know, um, he likes to get guys out of there early. We've seen him face, face some uh, adversity with Caceres, where that was a guy he couldn't get out of there and he went the distance. So, but about Berlinga, it, it has me thinking like, like when he ha- when he has trouble getting guys out of there, or when guys give him, you know, things to think about, that he, he's he's more likely to go the distance. Um, Angulo, um, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure if I see somebody. You know, even though he, you know he has twenty three knock, he has this high knockout rate. Uh, I mean, the guys that we've seen him against, I don't think those are, are you know as good as Berlinga. And, he, and even watching the fight with Angulo and, ben, and Benavidez, uh, Angulo, even though Benavidez is you know like this huge guy, Benavidez was putting it on him, and, and it wasn't like he just knocked Angulo out. Angulo just wasn't doing enough, you know, and he was taking a beat, and he ended up taking too much of a beat. Uh, in this fight, I, I, I'm not sure if he's going to take the same beating that Benavidez did because, you know, Benavidez brings a different type of talent level to the, to the table. 
I do think he will take a beating, and this fight will end in a, either a unanimous decision or a late round stoppage for Berlinga. I'll say about the eleventh round. Uh, I think it's a ten rounder though. Tenth round, it's ten rounder. Um, well, it's more likely to go to a, either a decision or a tenth round or a ninth round stoppage. I, I, I mean, it's going to be dead end. I don't see uh, Angulo really getting him out of early unless Angulo is still feeling the effects from um, Benavides. He's probably going to try. That, that's the interesting part is that Berlinga is probably going to try to get him out there early um, just to impress people to say that, you know, I did it and, and uh, Benavides didn't. But while Berlinga is, is his puncher and he, he enjoys getting guys out there early, I don't think he's as talented as uh, Benavides and not on that level yet. And I think his mindset of going in there and believing that is going to work against him, you know, because he's fighting someone who, who's a little bit, you know, either a little bit better than the level he's been facing. Um, but, you know, I have, you know, Berlinga, you know, late knockout or it'll probably end up in a, a decision. Yes, indeed. So you got Berlinga, like I say, coming in after the Steve Rose fight. Steve Rose was 37. This man is going to be, is 38. You know what I mean? It's like he's just on a senior citizen tour. You understand me? So all you old fighters, man, you know, be on, be on the lookout. You know what I'm saying? Berlinga probably be knocking at your door next, you know? So, but this fight right here, you know, you got Angulo. He's, he's 27-2 with 23 KOs, but the, all of those KOs are misleading because when I look at him, well, at least the fights that they have on YouTube, like he's a guy that he has all of those knockouts, but he just doesn't, he might be strong. And he might, I don't see him just like dropping anybody up. And I don't see, like when he's winging these shots, they just don't look that powerful. I don't I don't get it. Like I'm because when, when he was about to fight Benavidez and he had like maybe twenty six wins with twenty four no he had he had he he had two wins by decision when he fought Benavidez or Zerto. So when it was going to fight I'm like, oh man, he fight the puncher. But when I look at the highlights, I'm like, how is he getting these knockouts? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? What is he facing? So I don't know. Maybe he's he's a lot stronger than what I'm saying or a lot more powerful than what I'm saying. But when it's all said and done, this is going to be a good measuring stick to see where Berlinga is. Um, this is going to be during Puerto Rico Day Parade, so they're going to be coming out, you know, in droves to come check the man out. But he can ill afford to have another, you know, less than stellar performance because they're backing him. They're behind him. You know, he has a lot of support. But if he keeps giving those performances like he did against Steve Rose, then I don't know how much of that is going to continue. Now, like I said, stock is down after the Rose fight. And uh, Romar, he is, what, what I do see is he's durable, very tough, because Benavidez was hitting him with everything in the kitchen sink, and he, he was taking it. It just had, they stopped the fight in the corner, um, but he was going to keep coming out there, like I said, but he's real basic. And one thing about him is, unlike Rose, he can't fight up the back foot. Like, if he's backing up, that's it, fight is over with, because he has no plan B. Like his plan is just to move forward, um, and he's gonna pressure, you know. And but if you slip in with your your stamina, then he might make things interesting. This this is a slight to me is a slight step up, and the reason why I say it's a slight step up is because Angulo is two losses are against Zerto, and they are against um, 
Benavidez. Those are like two top upper echelon guys. So you can't take that away from them. But even though this is a little bit of a step-up fight, and the reason why I'm saying that also is because when he was fighting Rose, Rose was coming up from middleweight, and he wasn't much of a puncher at middleweight, so he wasn't really going to bring too much in that way. And that's the only – Rose, if he had some power, he might have knocked Berling out last fight. But this guy, I believe, can knock you out because he's a big 168-pound fighter. Now, although this is a step-up, I still think that really if – Berlinga is who they say he is, then this guy really should be tailor made for him. Because if you're a puncher, you want guys that's come at you who's not really that defensively uh, reliable. Now, um, and like I said, Berlinga hasn't lost, but he's still just not developing. You know the way we want to see somebody with all of this, all of these, uh, all of this praise. You know what I mean? Um, he just what I notice about him, he doesn't faint to get his shots off. He's, he doesn't have any nuance to his game. And he just hasn't shown the growth and progression that you would want to see. And like I say, this will let us know if if he can beat guys like John Wright, if he can beat guys like Morel that you mentioned earlier, Durrell, um, Gabe Rosado, you know, heck, I would, if he struggles in this fight, I may question whether he can beat Shane Mosley Jr. You know what I'm saying? And that might be the next person that they might need to put him in with if he's not uh, successful. But I think, especially because I think what one thing that's going to happen in this fight is that Berlinga is going to be well-trained. Like, physically, he's going to be on play. And I think that that's the biggest thing that will enable him to lose is, like, when you fight somebody as durable as uh, Angulo, you just, and, and they're strong that that is the issue like at the end like you're trying to like knock them out and then you get tired and then they end up catching with something I don't think that's going to happen because I think that based on how poor he performed in his last few fights I think he's going to be really motivated and so I can see him either winning like a late round like ninth round KO or uh, decision in this one and like I said, what's going to be just so durable? Unless Benavidez beat some of the life out of him, then he should be able to take Berlinga's shots if he was taking all of the punches that Benavidez was hitting him with. So I'm going to say 10-round decision, Edgar Berlinga. Yeah, this one's going to be interesting, man, because there's a lot of variables. Like, I know you said, you know, Angulo has the knockouts he has, but it's like, who did he knock out at the same time? You know, we have a guy who has fought higher than middleweight, than super middleweight, who is now fighting at super middleweight. Like, that's the lowest division he's fought at. And then you have Berlanga, who was put down by Cosetis, who has fought, like, that was his first fight at super middleweight. So he moves up and, and puts Berlanga down. And so, to me, Berlanga's chin is in question. And then you also have the pressure to perform. You mentioned Puerto Rican Day Parade, hometown fight. Last performance was lackluster. New York, they're the fans that you want in your corner, but they're also the fans you don't, you do not want to turn against you. You know what I mean? And so you got that. And also is like, how much did Angulo learn from these, from these fights against elite caliber opponents? And how much damage did he take? You know, you have these things that factor in. 
although his style is tailor-made for someone like Berlina to perform, there have been several blueprints kind of to beat Berlinga. You can capitalize on what Rose did, which is less likely to happen because he doesn't fight off the back foot. But then, you know, maybe there's something you can take from that Cosetta's fight, you know. And we also don't know where Belinga's head is at because, you know, did he spar the right people in this camp? Because he was so in love with the knockout power, he wasn't even trying to establish a jab. And so if you have a come forward guy, but the come forward guy know that you're going to be throwing power punches, then at some point your power punch could be timed. It's easier to time a power punch than it is to time a jab. And so you got a lot of things coming into play. So when I say that I think that a Berlinga decision is the most likely scenario, I say that because more so because one, I'm not high on his power anymore as he continues to step up. And two, I basically trust the matchmaking ability of top rank to not really set him up yet. I think it was clear that he had some deficiencies and I think they're trying to get him against guys who have fought guys to keep doing this measuring stick. And so I'm going to just say Berlanga decision, but I don't think he'll knock this guy out. Yeah, listen, man. Like, he can't get caught in an exchange. It's just, it's two things that Angulo, what I recall from him, is he has his mitts up. And when you're shooting punches, he's not going to shoot back. Well, he's going to rarely shoot back. When he does shoot back, the counters are so slow. If Berlinga get hit with any of that stuff, he might be tired, man. Because those counters are just, I'm telling you, like, he has just come around. He's just so wide. And it's like, just, and, you, and it's more so to me. I don't know if he's doing it really trying to hit those guys or if he's just trying to keep them honest and move them back off them because they just tag him so much. Because that's what Benavidez is doing. I'm saying anything that he wanted to hit them with, he can hit them with. Or he's going to hit something. And so if his work rate is up, and he's just throwing enough punches, I just don't think it's going to be much coming back at him. And whatever it is coming back at him, he should be able to move those punches. I would, I hope so. I hope he can. But, you know, we'll see. But like I said, if, if um, Angulo, if he's anything as far as physically like he's been before and mentally, then he should be able to survive, you know, maybe some rocky moments. I didn't even see him getting hurt by those guys. Like, you know, Benavidez and, and uh, Zerto was, was tagging him. I didn't even see him, like, really phased by it. He was just, he just kept coming, you know. But, again, I can't see somebody who he lost uh, 10 rounds against Benavidez and he went the decision with Zerto. He didn't win, like, even a moment in those fights. So I can't see somebody who didn't even win a moment beating, like, that gave Berlinga some talent. You know what I'm saying? He is a, a talented guy. So I can't see him. Like winning outside of some land of something, you know, that he just gets caught flush with something, you know. Yeah, I would agree. You guys have anything else? Yeah, I, I'm gonna watch Strictly Business this week, just uh, get ready for this fight. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? Because I, I gotta see my man in Gulo, you know, get Halle Berry. Oh, okay. <laughs> that is hilarious. <laughs> so, last fight we're gonna predict. We got, in Miami, we have Daniel Dubois, who's coming back, and he is fighting Trevor Bryan. How do you guys see that one playing out? Okay, so we got Trevor Bryan, you know, 
the big boy. He's 22-0 with 15 KOs, 32 years old. Don King fighter, 6'4", 79-inch reach. Um, he'd be facing Daniel Triple D Dubois. The D stands for Dynamite. He's training with Shane McGuigan. Also, Trevor Brand. He has Larry Corner, Larry Holmes, um, like giving him tips and stuff like that now, uh, as well. Dubois is 24 years old, 17-1 with 16 KOs. He's 6'5, 78 inch reach. His only loss was to Joe Joyce. Um, and he has Shane McGuigan, um, that's been working with him recently. Shane McGuigan said, check out Daniel Dubois now. You know what I mean? He said he has a lot more head movement and he got a lot more wrinkles in his game. He said, you're going to be very surprised. You know, when you see him in there. Uh, Trevor Bryan is coming off of a victory over Jonathan Guidry, a 12-round split decision victory over the nondescript Guidry. Now, here's the interesting thing. Like, Don King, I don't know what he has on the WBA or whoever the sanctioned bodies are to get <laughs> Trevor Bryan this belt. So check this out. Bryan, has, he fought once in 2016. He fought twice in 2017. And those fights were six-round fight, two six-round fights, and one eight-round fight. <laughs> he fought once in 2018 against a blown-up passes prime BJ Flores and took a three-year sabbatical. And then he came back and fought for the WBA regular belt against a washed-up 40-pound north of his best weight for Mays <laughs> So how do you get a belt <laughs> in that, you know, with that resume? So anyway, um, what I like about Trevor Bryant is he doubles and triples that jab. You know, he has a decent jab. That's what I notice about him. Uh, but the only problem is that he's just, he, he throws a jab, but he's, he's there stationary. And I don't think that that's going to work out well, you know, against somebody as powerful as Daniel Dubois. And then the other thing, he's just never really been tested. You know, you look at his resume, and it's just nothing on there. And the only name that you would know is Stavern, but Stavern's just been getting knocked over every time somebody touched him lately after the Wilder fights that, you know, it's not surprising uh, that he would lose against anybody, any decent type fighter. Now, uh, Dubois, big punch, especially with that right hand. Um, the problem with him is that people question his heart, you know, after the Joe Joyce fight, like, you know, he quit. Like, can you be an elite fighter if you quit? Now, that was a tough injury that he sustained. But, you know, those fighters, like, you had people who were questioning. B.J. Saunders was one person. I mean, there were several other fighters who kind of, like, no, you can't do that, right? Um, but I think that him quitting could help or it could hurt him. You know, he may, he may look at it like this. That, or I look at it like this, where... He may quit again if the tough gets going. Like he may mentally get back in that space and like, no, nah, you know, I give up. He may just be that type of guy. Or it could, could be that feeling that he had about people questioning his heart that he'll never do it again. And so you just never know um, in these situations. I always bring up the Klitschko, the, the, not Vladimir Klitschko, but his older brother, Vitaly, when he had the injury against Chris Bird. And so... They end up, I think he requested them to stop the fight after he just couldn't do anything with that shoulder anymore. And people kept questioning his heart. And so then when he got into the fight against Lennox Lewis, when he almost had his eye almost like the, the skin was almost coming off. And he was begging him not to stop the fight, where he was just showing too much heart. 
You know what I mean? And you have situations like that where, you know, some people get in that situation and they feel what people are saying about them and they know I'm not a quitter. You know what I mean? You just don't know what it is I was going through. And they're more um, likely to showcase the heart, you know, that they didn't exhibit at the time that they, you know, were in that situation. So I think that that would be more so what Dubois is going to show. But I don't think it's no matter in this fight. I think that he's just too much for Trevor Bryan. And even Dubois has, you know, been in the trenches, you know, in his fight against Joyce. Bryan has never been in a situation like that. His resume is weak, uh, meager, and he's never faced anybody nearly as good as Daniel Dubois. And I think that Dubois is going to get him out of there, I'll say, like a seventh-round KO. It always interests me when people question fighters' hearts. Because, one, you have to have a heart to fight. Two... One injury is not like the other, you know. There's some injuries that you can't fight through, you know. Uh, Gary Russell Jr., he, whatever shoulder injury he had, he was able to fight through that, you know. When Tank hurt his hand, he was able to fight through that. Or orbital bone injury, from, since I've been following boxing seriously, 0% of the people that I've seen with orbital bone injuries have finished the fight. Whether the ref stopped it, whether the corner stopped it, just like the corner stopped it for Billy Joe Sanders, who has something to say? The fight gonna get stopped if you have an orbital bone injury, and if you continue to fight with that, you will probably not fight again because that's a face, and you're gonna get hit in your face again if you continue to box. So I don't hold that injury against Dubois, and even if somebody were to hold that injury against Dubois, he's with Shane McGuigan, who said he's a new fighter, and I'm gonna just take him at his word. One of the things he cited was head movement. How do you get hit in your face, Lex? You move your head. You know what I mean? So what that sounds like to me is like the Dubois that went in against Joyce, I would have picked him against, you know what I mean, Trevor Bryant. You now have a battle test at one who has went back to the drawing board, sound like he's addressed his weaknesses. He's worked on the things he got to work on. Since that Joe Joyce fight, he's gotten a second round knockout. He's gotten a first round knockout. And so I think that this is going to be Another confidence builder for him. And I can see him uh, getting him out of there in six. So I'm going to go Dubois in six. It's interesting that you guys, both of you guys brought up the, the order of injury. And, uh, and, you know, what people were saying as far as lack of heart. I mean, I just can't see it that way. Like, you know, if you have an order of injury, that's one of those injuries that's like, I understand. I understand if you, if you just like, I can't do it. Because that's a... That's that's a uh, a career altering injury. Like your career could be over if you keep on fighting with that particular type of injury, um, and you feel it too. We saw with uh, Alfredo Angulo when he had his uh, orbital bone broken in the fight. How I, I'm trying to remember if that was against Arislani Lara, where he packed up like nah, nah, nah. And, uh, and even after that, he never got. You know, hurt like that again. Even after that, you know, he lost some fights, but he still was able to be in tough fights and take punishment. So, I'm not sure I, I'm going to just question Danny Dubois' heart, even though I mean, a loss is a loss, and, and Joe Joyce was putting it on. You know, that's how that was happening. But against Trevor Bryan, I don't think Bryan is as Bryan is as uh, uh, awkward as uh, Joyce is. You know, Joyce is just, you know, even though Joyce is slow somewhat, I think I like his jab better than I like Trevor Bryant, even though Bryant's jab might look better. You know, I think uh, 
Joe Joyce is a a more measured fighter as far as his IQ and what and how he uses his tools at his disposal. Like you may look at how slow he is and think like this guy's slow, but he's he's computing things in his mind. And when I look at Trevor Bryant, Bryant does you know pop that jab and stuff like that, but you know he's standing the same way. He doesn't necessarily move his head. Daniel Dubois, you know he he previously didn't move his head. Neither he was standing, you know, straight up and had that height. But I do, I think he's working on it. So uh, I think it's going to be that that Dubois' right hand versus uh, Trevor Bryant's left hook. Can Trevor Bryant land that left hook on Dubois? And what's going to happen when he does? But if I have to make a pick, I, I expect a, a jabbing match with a, you know a one-two war where they're going to be throwing one-twos a lot. Um, but I think that. Eventually, Dubois is going to catch uh, Brian with one of those right hands. And I say I, he's going to put him out of there about the fourth to fifth round. Can you, can you pick a round, sir? Is it fifth or fourth? Sir? Fifth round. Okay. Oh, okay. We finally, uh, we finally nailed it down. We finally nailed it down. Hey, Wilton, about the fifth round. About the fifth. Okay. <laughs> I like that. So now, um, a couple of things that I was going to say is this, man, is that Neither one of these guys should be fighting for a belt. You know, this shouldn't be for a regular belt or anything like that. Brian shouldn't have the belt. And then Dubois, what he had, what he had, has he had two fights since the... Yeah, yeah. yeah he had two fights, but he hasn't fought anyone, right? Um, now, the other thing that I wanted to say is this. For me, just as a human being, I don't have a problem with a guy who has an orbital bone injury, you know saying that enough's enough. You know what I mean? I want to make sure I have my vision. See, when those fighters say stuff like that, even though Billy John, Joe Saunders is a hypocrite because he did the same thing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It was like three or four different fighters who was questioning him. And since they're in the game, and I think what they're just saying, as a fighter, you shouldn't do that. You know what I mean? So I, I, don't, I let them, you know, the, the, the boxer on boxer, like the, 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 the crimes, you know what I mean, of those guys. I let them, you know, sort that sort of thing out. But um, because I, looked, I remember Earl Spence was saying how when he had the injury that he had against the Pacquiao fight, he was saying how he was trying to get the ref, the, the uh, doctor. He was like, can I just fight with one eye? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like that's the mentality that a lot of those guys have. So I, I can understand where they're coming from when they're looking at somebody like the boy. And it just looks weird for somebody as big. and You know, that order ball is something tricky. You know what I'm saying? But... It's just the way he kind of like shelled up this big old dude, you know what I'm saying? Maybe if he would have went out differently, you know, maybe the optics of it, it just, it just looked a certain way. But the orbital bone is nothing to play with. You guys have anything else on that? Yeah, I think what the WBA does now, they got this feature on their website where you can log in as a promoter and build a belt. You know what I mean? So I think that's how all these, they, they turn out all these belts. You got to have a specific login, you know what I mean? You got to pay a sanctioning fee. But you can go in there and build a belt. WBA build belt. That's what we do. Get my sanction fees. Or Don King got something on somebody there. You know what I'm saying? Oh, he definitely got dirt. He, he go to church with somebody who had an affair with the WBA. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. You guys have anything else before we wrap things up? Yeah, no, sir.
No, man, always, just always good to be in the same presence. That's all. You know what I mean? We came in here on fumes, but I feel like, you know, we not like chipper, but I feel like, you know, we, we rally, you know, we got it, we got through it together. So always good to be here. Right. Happy birthday to uh, Gary Russell Jr. Uh, I saw that on his birthday today. So uh, hopefully you enjoy his birthday, you know, today. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm glad we're able to shout out to, shout out to Gary, you know. Uh, Gary, which Russell? Though? Like, it's like, uh, uh I can't remember what you Mr. Mr. Junior, yeah. <laughs> yeah, shout out to you fellas, man. It was uh, you know, tough, you know what I mean, to get that second win, you know what I mean? Because what what people don't know is we had like lengthy conversations prior to the episode, so we kinda ran out of gas a little bit. But, you know, when it comes when it, when it's time for the mic to come on, you know, we got that second win and we tried to do the best we could. You know, and I think that that's why we always stay on top like anchovies. You understand me? So, on that note, you guys have anything else? <laughs> nah, we can end it there, bro. We can end it there, man. Shout out to you fellas. All right. All right. Peace. Peace. Peace.